Welcome back to part two of our podcast of Brothers of the Bow, Mark Mitten. The thing it is about what I what I've been through, I'm so happy. I'm really one of the lucky guys to, to be able to meet and hang out with those uh, forefathers of, of you know of absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Fred Asbell, uh, you know, Rothar. Uh, Rothar, he he shot his biggest deer just like eight miles from where I'm sitting right now. And you know what's you know, funny about that? Roger was hunting with me for almost five weeks. He shot a buck there right behind my house, and I was hunting at another spot. Of course, I was waiting for Roger to leave, go hunt this good spot. (laughs) But he he called me up one night, and it was just after he left, and I just rushed in from hunting and got into the house and answered the phone. Hey, boy, you sitting down? (laughs) I'm like, well. Yeah, he sounds like that. Yeah, he says, I I go. Quite the character. I got to meet, you know, uh, Paul Schaefer out in Montana and, and uh, Bart Schweier and and uh, Marty, Marty Browning and uh, Fred Asbell, but uh, that that Bart, you remember happened with the Bart, right? Yeah, you know what? Real quick, I'm going to tell you, the folks. Okay. You need to learn. To, I'll tell you what. If you can Google these guys. Paul Schaefer is a guy that I kind of wanted to model myself around. He was a guy that I, when I read about, you know, he was the man's man. And I got to meet Barry Wenzel through Roger at a, a Michigan bow hunter rendezvous one year. Barry t- and I hit it off, and Barry took me under his wing. And, of course, at that time I was an athlete pumping iron really heavy. And yeah. I shot, and he always said, you remind me of my friend Paul Schaefer. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, what a compliment. And But then, yeah. you know, through that, and then you guys and Gene and Barry and, and I'm learning about Bart Schleyer and some incredible people who not just incredible uh, human beings, but incredible things that, that feats that they could do and accomplished. And uh-huh. I'm, I will, I'll let you, we'll put the names on there, but I'll let you explain it. Yeah. So I met Paul in Montana in uh, Kalispell. He had a bow shop. He, he made uh, Schaefer silver tip uh, uh, recurve bow. So he, he was, like you say, he was built like a, a tank. And uh, he would work out every day. His, his sister was a was a bodybuilder, a competitive bodybuilder. So he showed me his bow shop. He showed me his workout room. And uh, uh, let's see, uh, Bart, I met him in uh, Bart Schleyer. I met him in, uh, at, a, at, a tax, at, a, at a taxidermy shop, Foster's Taxidermy, in Wasilla, Alaska. And, and uh, I was staying with uh, the Fosters, me and my dad, and we're staying with the Fosters, and uh, they, their next-door neighbor was the Palins, was the, that Sarah Palins' parents. No way. Yeah, it was the next-door neighbors, you know. Or their school teachers up there at the time. So anyway, when I saw Bart, he was skidding out of bear, and I talked to him a lot and uh, hung out with him. And then about six months later, I called him up, and he was up there still working at that taxidermy place. And uh, I was asking him about. See, Bart was a, 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 a big a big predator biologist, you know, bear and and big cat expert. He, he went to Montana State, I believe, and. He worked with Dr. Janko out of University of Idaho, and uh, they were, they were uh, doing a lot of you know, grizzly bear research out west. So they also got they they got uh, some funding to do research on the Siberian tigers out in uh, in Russia, Siberia. So they went out there, and 
Hart's job was to capture the tigers with with uh, foot snares. That's what I was getting ready to say, Mark. I mean, Bart. I think one of his claim to fames was that and I think that he was uh, foot snaring grizzly bears in Montana. Yeah. So he regained yeah, his. He was, he was, he was doing tagging. You know, they put radio collars on him and stuff. And he was his job was to, was to capture him. And then he went to Russia. He was so good at it that he went to Russia yeah. and tagging the uh, Siberian uh, tigers. Yep. yep. So he got those, and I was asking him. I said, "What was the biggest, you know, tiger you got? Was it, you know, size?" And he says, "For they weigh everything, you know, before they put the collar on them and everything." And he said, "455 pounds," and it was a 17-year-old uh, male, and it had bad teeth. There were, you know, some of the some of the uh, the fangs were busted off halfway, and uh, so. Uh, I asked him, you know, I talked to him, I said, so you're following a thing in the snow? Natural Geographics made a film on it called Tigers of the Snow. If you look that up, Tigers of the Snow, you'll see Bart there uh, with the crew capturing uh, tigers. So anyway, so what happened is, uh, so I said, what, what were they eating? And he says, well, this bear, this tiger, because it was bad, you know, it was old, 17 years old, it had, you know, bad teeth. It was eaten primarily brown bears, and it would. Uh, the brown bears in Siberia are smaller, you know, where, where this tiger area is at. They're small. They're you know they're not. They don't get real big like the ones in Alaska or the Kamchatka. But they are brown bear, but they're smaller. It's, the, the brown bear is smaller than this tiger. The tiger weighed 455. So the tiger, you know, the bears are like 253 pounds. But he said, it, did you track up? You see a bunch of fur and blood everywhere. And, most of it's just from the bear, and uh, and if the tiger eventually get on its you know neck by the base of the skull there and, and break its neck, bite bite down and you know bust the bust the spine and kill it. But that's what it was eating. And then uh, so, anyways, it was uh, I so that was it, and probably that was in the spring. And he, oh, he was doing and he also was doing some uh, bear guiding. He called the big ones, the big brown bears in Alaska, he called Magnum, if it's a 10-footer. He'd say, yeah, I saw a Magnum. Yeah, it's like a 10-footer. But anyway, just in September of that year, just a few months from when I talked to him, he uh, he died. He got you know, killed, and that is... killed by a grizzly bear, but I don't know. There's some you know, there's some stuff with that story. It's hard to... Hard to it's, Mark... Odd with that story, but but you can you know see it or read about it on YouTube. Mark, I tell you exactly, you are got. I um I know Bart, you know through because of you and and uh, through the Winslows and stuff, and then you, the stories I've heard from you guys. But on YouTube, it's full of stuff on Bart Slayer, and it's all yeah. in mysteries, unsolved mysteries. And yeah. uh, they got stuff on there, and everyone talks about, you know, that there was definitely, he wasn't in camp. He was away from the camp and, and, and where they found him, which is everything that happened was not, uh, you know, to par of what Bart would do. And how yeah, he it would really—it's almost like there's foul play going there somewhere. Well, that's what they're they're existing, and they also they, said they, they see, the guys the guys not gonna let a bear sneak up on him for one thing, and because that's what he did—he did his whole you know his whole adult life was dealing with bears, you know. And and they said that the lake he was at it was not a spot that he would go, I guess, because it wasn't good for moose hunting. Um, yeah. You know, but he was so far away from his camp, so far away from his bag. I mean, yeah. there was definitely was disturbed. nothing was disturbed there. You know, yeah. his bow was right. You know, his pack and everything. No, no struggle. 
no struggle of a fight or anything? No, and every one of the, and there's, if you look up Mark Slayer and then go on to YouTube, there's a ton of stuff on there. Every one is, is, you know, is the conclusion that there's definitely foul play and act here. You know, someone knows, but if they'll ever find out, but it's a sad ordeal because the guy was, you know, he was a man's man. And same thing, the cool yeah. stories of him and Paul Schaefer, they both shot bows and 90, 100 pound bows. Yeah. And, um, but were the most modest people you would meet. Yeah. And they both died, you know, like in their 40s. Yeah. You know, okay. in the, you know Schaefer died, you know, a skiing accident. He's about 44 years old when he died. You know, funny story Barry told me uh, when Paul died, they said it was a, a, a funny thing because there's that story in the, and Bow Hunter Magazine did a thing later on where he was, um, which Paul Bruner, you know, brought a lot of stuff up on Schaefer. And if he went to a show and Bruner was at a show, you know, you'd hear all these stories about Schaefer. They always said that Schaefer didn't have to say tell any of the stories because people who experienced were the ones who would tell about the stories. But, yeah. uh, you know, he... He, yeah, he, was like in, he was in Africa, and he saved his guide. Yeah, from the lion. I think a, a lion, and uh, he was that fast on the draw with his bow to, to shoot it before it got to his you know, guide. And, and he was one of the first guys, like, he shot, well, he shot a Cape Buffalo. And if you watch the video, there's a little bit of video on there. He had to shoot, like, a 120-pound bow, stuff, two arrows in each other. He had to shoot a dead cow to show the people over there that his bow had power that could uh, kill a Cape Buffalo. But he's in this heat, and I don't know how many hours he crawls out and lays on these Cape Buffaloes just to get a shot at this huge world record. But the cool thing is, all you see is this dust bowl that after he shot they all break out and then paul schaefer comes walking out of that dust bowl which was actually a cool scene but he was just like noted as one of the world's best bow hunters but the thing barry was talking about you know this he, when he was in africa this he was hunting with this rifle professional hunter and this lion runs across his jeep the guy stops jeep gets his rifle paul instead of grabbing his camera i better take my bow well he hears the guy when he gets in there the guy screaming and yelling you hear the lion roar whatever's going on he gets there and this cat this guy's got his gun stock up in this lion's mouth and this lion's on top of him and paul just you know 20 yards grabs an arrow puts it on toop, shoots it in the chest cavity the lion comes off and all of a sudden looks at him and bolts to him, this guy, dude, I mean, rocks of steel. I mean, he puts another arrow on, puts another arrow into the cat, and the cat dies right by him. And the funny thing is, Barry Wenzel said that uh, he never told anybody that, you know, when he got back to the States, yeah, I killed a lion, but never told the story that he saved a guy's life. (laughs) Yeah, that's how how humble that guy was. Yeah, I mean, compared to that. He does so much stuff, he... You know, he, he, I think he had the world record, the world record mountain goat at one time too. Yeah. He was, he was, he was uh, he's quite the he, guy. He crashed an airplane. He would practice at 40, 50 yard shots, you know, with a thick bow. Yeah. That was just like, just practice rage. And then the Bart Slayer deal, you know, the stuff, uh, there is a video. It's so awesome that Paul is filming for, Bar- you know, both are wrestlers. Paul was the older guy and I yeah. think was kind of like who Bart looked up to, but they were so close. It probably could have been brothers. They're both super yeah. strong, F- uh, excellent wrestlers. But, you know, they're, they're hunting this brown bear and the Indian guy stayed way back with. And Paul is up close with Schleyer and he's just uh, going to hold the camera. And Bart's got a recurve, and this this uh, brown bear finally comes out of the brush, and she charges at him. And I'm watching this, and neither one of those guys 
break. They don't get up and like, oh crap. They both hold their ground. And as soon as she, she turned, it was, it might have been a female, they said, but it's yeah, a it was huge. A, like a huge uh, a sow. Yeah. Oh. And, and as soon as she turned broadside, Shire pulls up and boom, puts the arrow in them. But the cool thing is, neither one of those guys flinched an eye. <laughs> yeah. Well. That's, that's their life, you know. Yeah, well, that that was the real medi- that was the real deal, and and stuff like that. I just like I said, I I, I wish I had a chance to to meet them and didn't, but the stories of them and like I said, you guys, if you get a chance, go on YouTube. You can search this up. You could Google um, Google Paul Schaefer. I'll have it. I have uh, Dave Windauer uh, got the company. He he kind of interned for uh, Paul. Yeah. And Paul owned the Schaefer Silvertip Recurves, great bows, great feeling bow, and and uh, I have that's what I got today, and was one of my bows is a but is my Schaefer Silvertip, and it wasn't made by Paul, it was made by David, but you know yeah. through the tutelage of Paul Schaefer. They're excellent. They're excellent bulls. Yeah, they sure are. But uh, so that was so neat, and it's so cool you talk about Ed Bilderback because, you know, I just saw that a couple weeks ago. I watch, you know, the Fred Bear clip on YouTube as you're you're streaming. If I see any Fred Bear clip, I'll catch it, even if I saw it. And But Fred said that Ed Bilderback was the best bow hunter. You know, when I I interviewed him, he didn't even want to talk about Ed because that was like, I mean, he didn't want to talk about Fred that much because it's like, it's no big deal, you know, just taking out Fred Bear. He had so many other stories. He said, I got a lot of other stories that are better. I got logged stories, you know, where I almost got killed, you know, with a widowmaker, a thing called a widowmaker, where you're cutting a tree and it splits up the middle and about knocked him off a cliff. Oh, wow. Uh, just, just, just all his adventure on the sea. Uh, he, oh, he, he said he took, uh, I don't know if people know a guy by the name of Glenn, uh, Glenn St. Charles. Yeah. He was, okay, so Ed... Met him out there. He knew what Glenn St. Charles was from Seattle, and Ed had to take his boat to Seattle a lot to, to get it fit, you know, get worked on uh, his fishing boat. But he knew Glenn, Glenn St. Charles from Fred, from Fred, and Glenn had like sixty bowls. He had an archery shop there. He had sixty bowls that that had blems on them. That had you know, just a little bit of uh, you know something quite right with them, you know. So he didn't want to sell them, but they were all they were all bare bowls, and he was going to take them and throw them on a bird pile. And uh, Ed told him, hey, you know, rather do that, I'll take him to uh, uh, Hawaii. On one of his trips, he'd take his boat from Alaska all the way to Hawaii, across the ocean. And uh, anyways, he took those uh, 60 bowls up there to give them to the, the schools so the kids could, they could start archery. Oh, wow. That's very he cool. Kid, he met a kid, you know, some years later, a kid had one of them bowls, and the kid was like an adult then, you know, like the kid grew up. And he had one of those bowls that he that he donated, and the, and the kid had a I met him. He had he had a, a wild boar, you know, stuffed on the wall that had, and he said I shot he got shot that with one of the bowls. Said. That's pretty free. And you know what? Yeah, pretty freaking cool. Bow instead of being in a burn pile, went and made memory for somebody. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. I uh, Glenn St. Charles. It was. Uh, I, I had his book. The, he, he's an author, author of a book called The Bows of the Little Delta. He was a guy that would go to places uh, where Fred, uh, you know, ahead of Fred and, and look areas over and to make sure then have Fred. Fred would come up and, you know, his book is really interesting because in, in today's standards, it would seem like a Star Wars book that so far uh, crazy because, in the book, it talks about, you know, hard times and they were poor and they, um, 
when he was in high school, I think it was him and his brother from Washington, uh, his family didn't have any money. They hitchhiked on uh, their summer when they were out of school. They hitchhiked from Washington to Wyoming and worked on a ranch, a dude ranch, for the um, summer to make money to buy their school clothes and stuff and then had to hitchhike their way back home. And I'm thinking, uh, when you read that in the book, you're like, Oh my gosh! Can you ima- imagine if, my, if I'd have told my kid or some some kids today, "Hey, uh, hey, man, I just I, I forgot to tell you, I was going to leave you a note this morning. I was going to text you. You, you got to hitchhike to Wyoming this summer." Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, he had he had a huge collection of uh, archery artifacts and that, and he do I think uh, the Pope and Young has a museum I think in Minnesota where he has his whole collection. Quite the, just the history. And like I said, I'm so proud that uh, I went in. He was at uh, Compton. At last year, he was at Compton. And yeah, I had a wheelchair. He had the wheelchair. He, I, I told him I wanted to race him in his wheelchair. <laughs> he wanted ice cream. I told him I'd race him to get an ice cream in his wheelchair. <laughs> uh, but he... I think it was Barry, maybe Barry Jean. He said they ought to have him... Uh, put them on dry, you know, dry ice or something, and use them for a traveling trophy. <laughs> he, uh, you know, well, I had, you know, I bought, I got his, around. yep, he signed my book. Turn bo- him into a mummy, you know, turn him into a mummy. And Mummify him. He, uh, I, he signed my book, and then he signed my dad's Kodiak, uh, or uh, Grizzly. My dad had a 64 Grizzly that he bought new and maybe paid $40 for it, you know, yeah. those back then, and. And the only deer my dad shot was in uh, up in not Grayland, it was Baldwin, Michigan. Uh, that was the only place in the northern part of Michigan that we had deer in, between that and the Upper Peninsula. But my dad shot a deer in the fall hunt, and then someone came in their camp and stole it. And that was the only deer he ever killed with a bow. And so I have that bow today, and it's got Gene and Berries, and it's got a lot of Fred Aspel, Roger. It's got a lot of different people. I I gotta get yours, Mark, but. Um, I said one day I would like to take that bow and, and since I'm out here in Iowa or something, but I'll shoot a deer and just, I don't care how big it is, just shoot it, get it mounted, and put my dad's bow on it and say, you know, this is for my dad. But, Are you uh, hunting in northern, northern Michigan? Yeah, he was hunting up in Baldwin, Michigan, which is... Um, was there a lot of big deer up there? No, there was no, but we had a lot of deer. The upper... I mean, he only goes... Uh, it was funny because that's not far from Traverse City, you know, where Mitch kills all his monsters. Uh, Mitch Manpole, folks, that's another podcast I could do with Mitch. And I've known Mitch. I had a few encounters with Mitch when I lived in Michigan just for the fact I knew of him and, and I would go kind of harass him at the show. <laughs> he was with he was he would always be in the Michigan commemorative bucks uh, booth, you know. <laughs> Picture, Gene sent me a picture. He has a picture. Mitch sent him back in the 80s. Mitch sent it to Gene Whistle back in the 80s. Uh, and it, it's a, a nice, really nice buck. It looks, you know, 160s maybe, 170. And it's it's on a dough. It's, you know, it's like two sheds on a ah. dough. It's like holding these antlers, I guess, it, you know. So it's like the world record dough. But it's <laughs> you know it's funny stories. I, I've, uh, when he's, I was, he's got he's a character. I don't know the guy, but 
I just, he's a funny character. Well, dude, I flew, I flew, I used to have to fly a lot when I worked in manufacturing and I, because being in Michigan, I flew out of Detroit all the time and I'll never forget, I flew one time into Detroit and uh, was just, just, just came in and as I'm walking by, I look over and here's this little budgie guy with a big old bag of Levi Garrett putting Levi in his mouth. I look, it was Gene. And of course I stopped Gene Wenzel. Dude, I sat and talked, I, I talked to him for so long that they put my luggage in the lost and found thing. And, um, but Gene, I was talking about Mitch Rampola and, and Gene said, you know, he was sending, he, he told me he had pictures of this buck before he killed it. And I told him I'd like to see it. And he says, I told him that I even gave him a $10 bill and said, here, I'll pay for the shipping. Send me pictures of this buck. And yeah. Gene says, I never got any pictures, but he says, you know what upsets me the most? He never paid me back my $10. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well. well, I'll tell you what, buddy. It's different times, and, and you're you're absolutely yeah. right. There's there's days that you go back, and man, there's a lot to be said for those the yesteryears. And not saying you know the yeah. Bible, the the good book always. At least we got the memories. These kids now today aren't going to be able to have that. You know, there wasn't a lot of deer back then starting out. You know, there's so much more deer now to hunt, but because of conservation measures and and that, but. I mean, it was, uh, if this, you know, like I said before, when someone shot a deer, you knew it was a wild one. Yeah. And uh, they didn't have all the food plots. They don't have uh, the shooting houses over food plots and all that. You you would actually hunt them. You had to actually go in the woods and hunt them. And, uh, you know, one-on-one type of deal. Yeah, it's a, so. it's a different day. And, and like I said, I kind of like what you said earlier, there's nothing wrong hunting over a scrape, not knowing what's going to come in. The, the excitement, yeah. you know, you're right. We've we've lost her. In fact, Steve Rinella, the meat eater, uh, had a great uh, thing talking about wild game. And, of course, you know, uh, I grew up in wild game. My mom was from the south. We ate rabbit, rabbit gravy. We ate a lot of venison, a lot of pheasant, a squirrel. And um, that was nothing spectacular. I mean, it was just it was part of your life. And today, yeah. if you ask somebody, uh, you know, they come over, what, what is it? That's deer meat? Oh, my gosh. Oh, no, 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 no. You ever tried it? Oh, no, I, I've never tried And when they do eat it, because it's not that it's a bad taste, it's a different taste. And, yeah. and Steve Rinello said the same thing. We have lost our wild taste. Our taste our taste buds have been yeah. changed from, the, you know, from the taste of wild game. And yeah, we lost a lot. We lost our, you know, jaw. Big jaw, jaw strength and jaws because we eat soft foods. Yeah, it just you know, it, it, it's it's a lot time, of change. You know, but uh, Every, everything's changed. The world just doesn't seem the same anymore. <laughs> n- well, it's not, and it's um, you know the good book. The yeah. you know everything is 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 happening for a reason and. Yeah, but, but anyway, we got uh, we got to beat some of those old cot timers before they died and. Got to spend time with those are great memories. So, and and these young kids now they'll be hanging out with us, you know, and then we'll be you know trying to pass on what we can. The hard thing with with that I'll say about that, and and I'm trying to be Debbie Downer, is that when I used to hang around Rathar and when I was around him, I'd be not this, this well maybe awestruck, but I would sit there. And I would remember, I remember going down to his place, and, and even when he was in Iowa here, I'd go there. And Roger, people don't realize, these people, he was whitetails 365 days a year. 
He was, you know, it wasn't, and he didn't do it to get money. He wasn't doing it for sponsors. He wasn't doing it to get millions paid by some um, clothing company or something. I mean, Roger was, he loved hunting whitetails. He respected them, but uh, he would show videos to me and, you know, and he had, he would know every buck. And then we'd watch one, you know, from a year next, the next year. And he goes, see that buck right there? Remember him from last year? Remember him? That's that one with the split two G's. I'm like, wow, this yeah. guy, you know, he was just, they were so in tune to their element. And to be able, when he would tell his stories, I was like a sponge. And, you know, my first black bear, I rode up in Canada with him. He picked me up and from Michigan and we drove all the way up to Timmins, Ontario and stayed with him, drove back and, you know, all every story. I was a sponge. I, you know, when I hung, yeah. met Barry and, and and listened to Barry and, uh, it, you know, I hung, I was a sponge. And but today, you know, and it is good that you know you pass on to us. But today, the, it, it, it's harder for the young kids. I feel bad for them because there's so much that that we have to compete with to yeah. keep their attention. The video games. The video games, and and you know what, the kids today don't have. The um, a lot of them don't have they don't have the uh, the way to get to to access to, to land, and uh, one of the big things that, that I've been listening on podcasts is our you know our state land that is getting overwhelmed and overrun because of the videos of you know guys uh, promoting hunting state pro- you know hunting public property you know where the you know hunting public property that's the thing that's cool and and you know guys driving I see it out here you know you get grand gangs of 30 guys driving public property and we've lost the access where are these young kids going to go yeah so anyway but Mark I appreciate you taking your time and um, no big deal you know what? We're going to do some more on this. I want to get more into equipment and, and, and setting up your traditional equipment. I think it'd be there's a lot of guys out there who there is a lot of interest of guys who would like to get into traditional to do something different, to look for that maybe more of a challenge. There is some good young kids out there that said, hey, you know, this just, you know, this is cool. But it's not all about just to me. I don't have the big deer. I'm, I live here and, you know. I'm yeah. not a bad bow hunter because I don't have big deer. You just don't live where there's big deer. That's right. just all there is to it. But, but we'd like to get you back on. We're talking about uh, we'll talk about that and setting up traditional. And um, again, folks, get a chance go to the Mitten Nature Cam. And uh, in fact, I'm going to go there tonight and I'm going to get to see some of your videos and and um, I appreciate yeah, your time. Just put number six, episode six, on yesterday. Okay. If you like bears, if you like wolves and bears, I got a lot of that on there. Folks, it's awesome. And folks, I tell you, please, if you like this, go to our subscribe button, like button, and uh, the comments there. If you have any questions and people you'd like to know, you know, we're going to do another podcast. You get to listen to this podcast, and you are one of those young guys that say, hey, I'd like to maybe try to kill a deer with a, a flint stone or, you know, a, a, or a, a longbow or a recurve, you know. Might and Mark Mitten, both are great guys to reach out to. Um, you know, put us a comment down what you'd like to know and what you hear. And well, folks, if you're looking for legendary gear, um, call. Okay, and the, the one that I like the best is the old man. The old man. That that is. You saw. I think I sent you a video. I used. I drive down a road there, and I, I I blowed a few times, and a whole flock of geese just landed. <laughs> that had to be it. 
That had to be it. It's just, it's anointing. It's a special goose anointing that's on that. It helped that when they were cutting the corn out, they dumped a bunch of corn right there. Well, we, they, I always tell people that's the be <laughs> the best goose call you can get is the, the sound of corn. <laughs> but it, we're going to go ahead and do it. The golf course. There you go. <laughs> well, folks, if you're looking for legendary gear um, calls, you can go to our a lot of our supporting dealers of legendary gear. Captain Bones in Maryland, Dick's Sporting Goods, Finn Feather and Fur Outfitters in Ohio, Frank's Great Outdoors in Michigan, Jay's Sporting Goods in Michigan, L.L. Bean in Maine, Shields, Sportsman's Warehouse, Presley Outdoors in Illinois, Rogers Sporting Goods, Missouri. And also, folks, I want to give a shout-out to our sponsors, Apex Ammo, Domain Outdoors, G5 Broadheads, Killing Sticks, Lacrosse Footwear, Prime Archery, Rite, Sika Gear, Stan Releases, Yeti, and our friend Brent Nadu, who did the song and intro of our podcast. And I'll, again, Mark, I want to thank you again uh, spending your time. Folks, like I said, you like this, subscribe, hit the like button. And uh, if you're out there, always remember, hunt safe, hunt smart, and may the good Lord be your guide. Well, I'll be out there, rain shining, all a part of the great design. Bring it on, I can never get enough. Because that's what legends are made of.